this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. Thank you. (laughs) It's an amazing privilege to be here. I absolutely feel blessed and privileged. And I I have to tell you that... um, we do have the mountains and the sea and the vineyards in Stellenbosch, but you've got something here in this church that I don't think we have. I cannot really pinpoint it, but there's something very precious and very special. And I've been, been here a couple of times. We used to live in Stanerton, which is not that far from here, in Mpumalanga. And um, always to be here, I just sense there's, there's community, there's a real, you really do the community thing, I I think. <laughs> so thanks for, for having me. It's such a privilege. I bring you special greetings from Heinrich and Nikki. Yeah. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, they used to be the pastor couple here just before Pastenia and Rochelle came. And um, I told them I'll be in Joburg this morning. And I, I could absolutely that uh, Heinrich was very, very jealous. <laughs> And I could see with everything within him, he wanted to be the one to be here this morning. So I will tell him that you are very happy about the, the love that he sent. Um, yes, yeah, so we are on our way to Zambia. My husband works um, in Africa quite a bit. And he goes very often, he goes to other African countries and he ministers there. And I never get to go because I have to stay with the children. There's nobody to take them for a week or two. So um, this time we brought them along and they are visiting my sister in Joburg and we are privileged to go together and um, we are excited about what God is going to do there. We leave this evening, but for now to be here is the best thing to do. So I'm really excited about this word that I have. This morning I was sitting in Jan George's and Christine's beautiful, who have you seen their garden? Are you jealous or do all the gardens here look like that? <laughs> Ours certainly does not. Before I started speaking to God, while I was sitting there, I had this moment of comparing their garden with our garden and there was just no comparison. <laughs> so, uh, yes, but anyway, um, I was sitting there and I said, God, once again, I'm going to have the microphone. I'm going to minister. And uh, once again, I'm telling you that I, I'm not sure whether I am the person to be doing this. And once again, God said to me, um, you come to me only on account of the blood of Jesus. Nothing else. No accomplishment, no personality strength, no previous success, no previous failure, no personality failure, no epic failure. <laughs> I have those. <laughs> I hope you have to. None of that. You only come to me on account of the blood of Jesus. I don't even care how you feel. You come to me because of the blood of Jesus. And that is why you are justified. And I hope that we can understand that this morning. Sometimes we come to God and we battle to pray because we feel all kinds of things. And God says, you are very small. Even though you are extremely important to me, I gave my life. You and your problems are actually very small compared to the blood of Jesus. (laughs) 
let God in and you will live an amazing life because you will not be so concerned about yourself. You will be concerned about now and tomorrow and how are we going to extend the kingdom of God. So I want to, before I read the scripture, I want to tell you, we used to have a young man in our church in Stellenbosch. I actually didn't know him, but I saw him, but I never really had a conversation with him. His name was Seibrandt. And um, what I do remember about Seibrandt is that his reputation went ahead of him. He was a student. Some of you, are, some of you might, I think, Jan George knew him. He was a student then, about a year ago, and I remember Nodine came to me. She works with me. Some of you will definitely know her. And she said to me, do you know who Seibrandt is? And I said, no, I don't. She said, well, let me tell you about this guy. He's a student, so he lives on a farm somewhere far away from Stellenbosch. And then his mother would send him rusks or biscuits or cookies from the farm because now he's a, you know, students, you need, your, you need your mom to send you stuff to to survive. <laughs> she says, and then he, he comes to church with this like Tupperware container full of rusks and he goes to the toddler room. You know the toddler room is where all the sleep deprived, exhausted mothers are hanging with their toddlers. <laughs> I, I, I sometimes work in our toddler room in Stellenbosch and I walk up to them because my youngest is almost, is five, he's turning six this year. So I sleep well every night. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, and I go up to them and I said, put my hand on their shoulder and I say, can I, can I bring you a cup of coffee? And they look at me like I am the sun and the moon and the stars. And they go, please. <laughs> they are sleep deprived, exhausted and challenged. Uh, I feel for you. I do feel for those who are there right now. We have passed that. It's over. It's finished. We had a lot of that. Um, and she said, then Sabrant would come with his rusks to the toddler room, to these exhausted mothers and fathers. And he would, he would share. He, he would actually not have any of it himself. He would give it to them to enjoy with their tea. And then he would also make them the tea or the coffee. And I was thinking, wow, that's, that's, quite, that's quite different. I, I, I don't know about any other student who would actually even, you know, they don't even know that we have a toddler room. They don't even actually realize that people have children. You know? <laughs> students, are, students are different. <laughs> so I thought that was quite amazing. And, and then one other day somebody said, you know, Sabrand is. And I said, actually, I think it's the guy who brings the rusks to the toddler room, I think. And they said, well, this guy, he just, whenever he drives, he picks up people. You know the people who are hitchhiking, which we all sort of ignore? He picks them up, and he would take them where they need to be. He would like, take like a detour, and he, he would pray over them, and he would speak to them about Jesus. And I heard all these stories about this man that I never met. And then about a year ago, he uh, drove from where he was to Stellenbosch to surprise his fiancée. And there was, a, there was a car accident. And Sabran died that day. And nobody could believe it. Nobody could believe that Sabran died. And this is what everybody said. The time that he had on earth, he really, really, really did what God called him to do. And I want to read to you a 
a scripture, which is scary. Are there any people, allow me to ask, you don't have to put your hand up. Or is there anybody here, I doubt it, who is 70 years or older? Nobody. <laughs> then I can read the scripture. Psalm 90, verse 10 and 12. The years, this is from the Bible. The years of our life are 70. That's scary, eh? I'm 41. I'm, I'm on my way to 70. <laughs> or even by reason of strength, 80. <laughs> okay? So anything above 80 is completely and absolutely bonus, okay? According to the Bible. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. So teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. David, the psalmist here, says, God, teach us, teach me how to number my days because life is very short so that I may have a heart of wisdom, so that I may live my short life of 70 to 80, bonus 80 plus years, with wisdom. With wisdom. I have two quotes there that I would like to read to you that I thought was quite powerful. The first one is, sorry, I'm skipping a slide there. I'll get back to it. A man who dares waste one hour of time has not discovered the value of life. Another quote. I, I love this one. This is so true. We say we waste time, but that is impossible. We waste ourselves. We cannot waste time. It's not as if God says, you get so much time and I will give you so much time. You will have a 24-hour day and you will have a 15-hour day. I know the mothers feel that sometimes like they have an 80- or a 90-hour day. <laughs> but time is what it is. It is time. It is, we, we cannot waste time. It's not for us to waste. It is what it is. It's not something that we receive and we can determine how much we have of it. We don't know when we are going to die. But we can waste ourselves. Because God says, I have created you. I have a certain amount of years that I am giving you. And you need to do what you need to do in that time. Now listen to this very powerful scripture. I wish I could read this whole chapter. And uh, if you could, you could, you could go home and, and, and read the whole chapter. It, Ephesians 2 verse 8 but it first speaks earlier in, 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 in Ephesians 1, it speaks about how much, or I think actually in this chapter, how much God loves us. And the grace that he extends to us because he loves us so much. And then listen to this, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is a powerful scripture. We spoke this morning about religion, Jan George did. 
and about rules and regulations, and that is not what it is about. Now, this scripture said, you are not saved because of works. One day when we get to heaven, God will not say, you were an excellent engineer. Come and enter into your rest. Come live with me for eternity. He will not say, you were so beautiful, your sense of dress. Man, you had good taste. Come and be with me for eternity. He's not even going to say, you had such a good heart. Because there are many people with good hearts who, do, who, do, who deny Christ. He's going to say, because you put your faith in me, because you received my gift, because you received the gift of the blood of Jesus, and not because you thought that you could boast. And let's be honest with ourselves. There are things that we think we can boast in. <laughs> God is busy taking everything away from me that I thought I could boast in. It is such a humiliating process. <laughs> Realizing more and more and more, I am nothing. I can do nothing without God. I am like a vapor. <laughs> he says, not by works. It's a gift. You come to me. I give it to you freely. And, but then, then, it says a contradiction. The Bible is a very contradictive book. Have you noticed that? <laughs> it's a challenge. Then, the word, then, then it says, but you were created for good works. Ha! <laughs> so, when we manage to come to the cross naked, my husband had an amazing sermon last week. You can find it on the Shofa TV about coming to the cross naked. When we have realized that without God, we really have nothing and we are nothing and we can do nothing of, of eternal value, then His law is not something that we need to get right because we can't. It is written on our hearts. And because our hearts are circumcised, I'm sure the men are so happy that now it's your heart that needs to be circumcised. <laughs> I would be very happy if I was a man. Now our hearts are circumcised. Now we are ready because of our love for God to perform that set of good works which we were created for. That is why we need to come walk. We can sit in the mountain and have a beautiful quiet time or, or I don't know exactly where you go here, a beautiful park, <laughs> your garden. I'm sorry. <laughs> but then you need to go and do. Then you need to go and do. Then you need to go and do. And we need to find out from God because we all have a different set of good works. Some of our good works... Some of us will have a set of good works as an engineer and a father and an active member of our church. Some of us will go and do full-time mission work. Some of us will only mother our children, and it is different for all of us. You know, I have five children. They were born in space of seven years, and I promise you I cannot multitask. I have no ability to multitask. <laughs> and I say to God, God, I see all the women around me with two children. They are all able to multitask. Why do you give the one who is slow and not able to multitask the, the most children? 
it is part of my set of good works, which I am pursuing. And what I want to speak about this morning is how do we number our days? Because I always think the worst thing would be to die one day not having done everything that God has called me to do. Do you agree? I don't want to die one day knowing I didn't do much. I have a deep desire, and I know we all have it. I know some of us are more aware of it than others. But if we are getting really honest with ourselves, we all have a deep desire to leave a legacy. And that legacy should bear eternal fruit, not just here on earth eternal fruit. We have that desire, but God says it is not going to come through rules and regulations because you cannot keep the law. I did decide at the beginning of this year to not buy so many chocolates, <laughs> and I did do it for two months, and then I made up for, you know, then I like <laughs> had one every day for three weeks. <laughs> But God says, I, I, you need to come to me in that place where your heart is circumcised and I can reveal to you your set of good works and you will die one day like David having done everything for your generation that God has called you to do. My children had a teacher, two of them, and she, um, re she's retired now. And she was teaching in Stellenbosch for 40 years grade twos. So imagine how many grade twos she had in her class. And I had two children with her, Michael and Leisha. My two children were changed in her class. They were changed. They became more like Jesus because she loves God and she was an excellent teacher. I am sure when she dies one day, she will die having done everything in her generation that God has called her to do. And what I want to speak about now is how do we find this wisdom? And I believe there are many things to say, and I will only, I will only share that which God revealed to me. He will reveal most probably much more to you in your own time with Him. I want to say the first thing about that. I want to read a scripture from Song of Solomon. Do you like Song of Solomon? <laughs> Perhaps I've, I've told this before, but I always, ha I always have to say this when I speak about Song of Solomon. If you heard this four times, forgive me. But um, I, I was in the hostel when I, w I went to the hostel when I was eight years old. And, um, you know, we were sort of left to ourselves in, in a sense. And uh, lights out was, I think, eight o'clock. And then we would take the torch me and the other girls in my room, and we would take the Word of God, and we would read a little bit of Song of Solomon. <laughs> I will not tell you what we read. I used to do it, but too many people blush, so I will just not go there. But those pieces, we read those pieces, we absolutely loved it. It was like the naughtiest thing we could ever think of doing. <laughs> But everybody told us it's a good thing to read the Bible. So that's exactly what we did. We were reading the Bible. But I want to read one of the most beautiful scriptures in all of the Word of God to me. Song of Solomon 8 verse 5. And just the first bit of verse 5. Who is this coming from the wilderness, leaning 
on her beloved. You know, when we look at the book of Song of Solomon, it is the love between a, a bride and a bridegroom, and it is, it is amazing, it is, it is extremely passionate. But it is also an, an, a, a comparison of the bride of Christ and Jesus, the bridegroom. We are the bride, and he is the bridegroom. And this scripture says, Here two people are coming, a bridegroom and a bride, and she's leaning on him. They were there alone in the wilderness, and they are coming back, and she's leaning on him. I want to say something this morning. We cannot live the Christian life and bear eternal fruit if we are never alone with God where nobody else is and leaning on him like that. There's one thing that Satan will try to do in your life and in mine, and I know that he is very successful in many of our lives here. He will keep you from having a regular quiet time with God. I saw a little, just a little piece of a Joyce Meyer sermon the other day. I actually just saw two sentences just in walking past. And she said, you must spend time with God every day. It will solve every single problem that you have. And I thought that is the truth. We have too many people in Stellenbosch, perhaps it's very different here in Joburg, who come for counseling. <laughs> Because they think, and it's good to go for counseling, please do not understand me wrong, it's a big part of, of being in the ministry for us who work at the church. We do that, and that is a godly, biblical thing to do. But no person can do for you ever what, what God can do for you. The Word of God says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Never go to a counselor or a friend or a respected person and think that they can fix you. Never make that mistake. They cannot. They can allow the Spirit of God to work through them, but that should add to your own relationship with God. We need to consult God every single day, every single morning. And if you really battle in the morning, then it needs to be in the evening. But every single day, we need to draw near to God, and He will draw near to us so that we can get instructions for the day. So that God can speak to us about the day. And I know there are people here... I'm sorry, forgive me that I speak to the mothers all the time, but that is just what I am, and I'm first and foremost a mother more than anything else. I remember having babies, like a baby and another baby and another baby, and, and, and really exhausted and trying to spend time with God, and I would often fall asleep with my head on the Word of God. But you know it says it will come to you in your sleep, so... <laughs> But I would do this. I would keep a Bible in the loo, which is also a challenge to do when you have small children. They don't, even, they don't even allow you to do the loo on your own. But anyway, I would take that Bible for five minutes and I would read it. And I would, I, I would somehow find time just to connect with God if I could not do it for a proper quiet time. But I would do that because it was my lifeline. 
And I want to say something. If this is the only thing we remember from this morning, then this is good. Then it's fantastic. Many of us here perhaps have many problems. And you don't know what to do. You doubt. You are frustrated. You are angry. I want to ask you, did you get up this morning and pray and read the Word of God? Did you do it or not? Because it is our food. And if you don't eat, you starve. It's a default thing. It's by default. If you don't eat, you starve. The Word of God is our spiritual food. To pray is, is our breath. And for us to live our days with wisdom, and let me say this, there is earthly wisdom and there is heavenly wisdom. The heavenly wisdom will take you much further than the earthly wisdom. Because when we engage in earthly wisdom, we will do, we will spend our days perhaps seemingly wisely. You could be good at something and you could be well at it, but it might not be the thing that God has called you to at all. And it will not be eternal fruit. And we can have good thoughts about many things. But it is only when we engage with Almighty God, it is only when we really engage with the Spirit of God that He can reveal to us, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, but by His Spirit, God will reveal to us our set of good works. And if we want to spend our days wisely, we need to inquire from God how to. Because our earthly minds will tell us, this is a good thing to do, that is a good thing to do. This is a good direction to take. And if we don't spend that time where we engage with God, we will become religious. I've done that many times. I'm going to help the poor children and there I run. And it falls flat after a month because it was religious. Because in my mind, it was a good thing to do. It's not bearing any eternal fruit because I did not inquire from my creator what he created me for. What, God, what did you create me for? And I need to do it every single day. And let me say this. If we don't get to that time with God, there is no condemnation. Can I say that again? There is no condemnation. It is not a rule. It is not a rule. It is a lifeline. <laughs> it is our hope and our salvation. We need to engage with God, the Almighty God. Because He will give us the wisdom as to how we are supposed to spend our Monday to Sunday. And when we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was in perfect submission to the Father. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father does. Isn't that amazing? He did nothing if He did not see the Father did it. The Father told him what to do. We are growing in our submission to God. I don't think any of us is like Jesus yet. I don't know, perhaps any is near, young George. I don't know. <laughs> we are growing in that. But if Jesus needed the Father for every single next step, 
How much more do we not need the Father? And Jesus lived an extraordinary life. Do you agree with me? But yet, he kept himself busy with the ordinary. Have you ever noticed that? He did extraordinary things. But in between those extraordinary things, he was hugging and loving on children. He was eating with people. He stopped to speak with people. He went to weddings. He, he did ordinary things. He worked with his father as a carpenter until a certain age. But in his ordinary, he displayed the extraordinary. In his ordinary. And I know that many of us think, well, I live an ordinary life and there's nothing spectacular and how is God going to use me? Don't think that. Just go to God every single day and say, God, if I waste one hour today, I am wasting myself. And you have created me to do a set of good works and those good works will bring life. And they will fulfill you. And let me say this. They will challenge you beyond description. And if you are never challenged, may I say this with respect, you are most probably not pursuing those good works. Because the Word of God says, take up your cross and follow me. <laughs> The book of Habakkuk says, even if the fig trees are not blossoming, and even if there are no cattle in the cattle barn, still I will worship you. Still I will praise you. Still I will serve you. Because when we pursue what God has for us, we will get to know Him on our knees where we need Him, where we are desperate for Him, because we are challenged beyond what we can think we can do. I had a, I had a, a, a conversation with Pastor Fred May a couple of months ago just to speak about the women's ministry. I'm, I am responsible for all the women's ministry and all the Shofar churches and a couple of my other responsibilities and after we had this whole long discussion, I said to him, can we just have a heart-to-heart -heart here? Can, can I just share my heart? And he said, yes, yeah, sure, share your heart. And I said, I cannot do this. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> Why do you give me this job? I do not know how to do it. <laughs> I feel extremely incapable, incompetent. I feel very small and I am overwhelmed just with my own personal husband and children. It's enough for me to manage every day, the whole day, and my house and my dishes and our washing. I, 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 I cannot do this. And he said to me, that is exactly why you are going to do this. Because I cannot tell you how to do it. But you go on your knees and you ask God how you are supposed to manage. And I really want to say that when God takes us and he says, I want you to spend your time wisely. I want to give you a heart of wisdom. I want you to live your life like David and so many others in the word of God did. Where 
where you spend every single hour in perfect submission to me, you must know that I will take you further than you think you can go. I will extend your territory like Jabez. Do you know about Jabez? And Jabez said, God, I don't want to bring pain because his name means you will bring pain. That's what the word Jabez means. He said, I want you to to, I want to be a blessing and I want you to extend my territory. And God says, if you are going to dwell in this set of good works that I have prepared, says the word of God, that I have prepared for you, you must know that it will be uncomfortable. <laughs> Like every person in the Word of God whose territory was extended, it was not comfortable for Joseph in that prison being innocent. It was not comfortable for Esther having to approach the king and knowing that she might lose her life. It was very uncomfortable for Moses to go back to Egypt. He said, I will not, I cannot, I stutter. You know, some people say, perhaps... I have to say this in Afrikaans. You know, it's Aaron. Some people say perhaps it was Aaron, but because Moses was stuttering, it became Aaron. <laughs> Sorry, that's completely out of place now. <laughs> it was extremely uncomfortable. It was not comfortable for the Apostle uh, John to be on the island of Patmos. He was, he was in exile. That's where he received the revelation. Wherever God will take us, it will be uncomfortable. And when we, when we get comfortable, we must know the next uncomfortable is on its way. <laughs> because God will extend your territory. And he will promote you. you know, and, and then you are promoted and, and it is hard. And then you finally deal with it and you finally have more or less an idea how to do it. And just when you think, now I've got this, now I've got this, the next thing will come. Because your good works is prepared for you to influence many people with the fragrance of Christ. Perhaps you are raising a child who will become a massive, big evangelist. We don't know what, what, what God can do through all of us, but it reached much further than just us. I want to read from John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved, having loved his own and who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This scripture speaks about the fact that Jesus knew that his hour had come. And there was, there was, there was great suffering for Jesus towards the end of his life. As we all know, he was sweating blood in the garment of Gethsemane. But here's the principle that I would like to bring over this morning. God 
prepared our lives for us and He's inviting us into that place where we know what He has prepared for us. And He wants perfect submission to Him. And we even sang it this morning. I was so amazed when we sang that song about the hour. There was something about an hour. God, I need you every hour. It was such a confirmation because God wants us to be in submission to Him Every hour of every day, even when we are on holiday lying on the beach in the sun, He wants us to be in perfect submission to Him. And when we are, we will know. Listen to this carefully. This is a deep thing. When we are connected with God like Jesus was, and a significant hour in our lives will come, we will be prepared for it. We all have significant times in our lives. We have the good ones and we have the bad ones. We have a wedding, which we plan for quite a bit. It's a significant day and we are prepared for it. We have babies. It's extremely significant. You prepare to bring that baby into the world. (laughs) You do. Because it's quite a challenge if you are a mother to give birth to that baby. But sometimes there comes an hour, like in the life of Jesus, that is not pleasant when he had to go to the cross. That is not something that we wanted or asked for. And Jesus said, he was begging God, he said, if it is possible, can this cup just gaan voorbij? (laughs) Can it just pass me, please, God? And, and, And he said, but not my will, your will. And I want to say that in this life, there will come an hour and, and, and a couple of hours. There will come significant times in our lives when it will be defining moments. And we need to be prepared for it. That time when you hear that somebody has died, somebody that you love, or you lost your job, or you failed, or you have to move to another town or another country, or you are now financially bankrupt, or whatever it may be, whenever that hour comes and all these significant times in our lives, when we are submitted to God, even though it might feel like it takes us by surprise, we will be prepared for it because we live our lives with wisdom. Do you understand what I'm saying? And when we are connected with God, leaning on our beloved, coming with him from the wilderness, and let me say this, what did this couple do in the wilderness? They had intimacy there. They had intimacy there. God says, I want you to come and I want us to have intimacy. And I want to say something. You know, often, you know, there is a massive difference between motivating ourselves and engaging with the Spirit of God. There is a massive difference. And I see people sometimes and they say, I trust God for a car. I need a car. I trust God for a car, which is good. It's a good thing to trust God. And then they would, whenever they speak, they would say, I speak this into being because I trust God for a car. And that is good and fine. And it could even be a blessing. I mean, it could be, 
it, 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 some personalities are also more verbal than others. But I want to say that, you know, I've been married for 16 years now. At the end of this year, it will be 17 years. I don't have to say, I believe that my husband will come home this evening. I, you know, because I know he will. Because I trust him with all of my heart and I rest in that. Because he proved himself faithful to me. And we are just people. We are fickle. We fail each other. But God does not fail us. And there is a place where we speak in faith. But knowing God and resting in God is that scripture that says, Be still and know that I am God. It is not, I don't trust because I keep on saying it to everybody that I meet. I trust because deep down in my heart, heart, I have a knowledge of him. I know him. I know it will be well with my soul. And anything can happen. We are not exempt from things. Anything can happen. Ask Job. He lost everything. And his friends turn on him. But I know that I know that I know I can trust in God. It is a place of deep knowledge. It is not cheap talk. (laughs) And yes, we speak from that place. And we should. But we need to know that if we want to live our lives with wisdom, it comes from knowing him and knowing his word. And you know what the amazing thing is? You read the word and then you see it works in your life. It becomes the truth. And that is when the word of God becomes powerful because it's not, it's real. It's so real. It happens. It's real. Okay, let me move a bit bit quicker. There's a scripture, I did not put it in my slideshow because I have so many scriptures there. There's a scripture where Jesus says in the New Testament, He who puts his hand to the plow and he looks back is not worthy of following me. You know, God is not, uh, he's kind and he's full of compassion, and his love cannot be described. But he's not this fuzzy, lovey, you know. He says, if you are not able to leave the past behind, he doesn't say, oh, shame. You're not able to leave the past behind. Let me just cuddle you a little bit. Let me just hold you. He doesn't say that. He says, if you are not able to leave the past behind you, what then? Don't even try to follow me. It is not going to work. You are not even worthy of following me. Because if you do that, you reject the cross of Jesus Christ. I believe that is a word for somebody here. Stop looking back. Stop regretting your past. You are not worthy of following him. Why? Not because you are wicked or bad, He loves you more than you can ever know because you reject what he did on the cross if you cannot forgive yourself. And you cannot spend your time wisely if you live in the past. 
And when you come to him, he only sees that you are washed with the blood of Jesus. That is all that he sees. You are cleansed. You are righteous. And I really want to say this morning, if you battle with your past, try to leave it here this morning. Trust God to help you to forgive yourself. How long are you going to reject the blood of Jesus in your own life? You are gracious to forgive others, but not yourself. You are rejecting, and I, when I do it, we are rejecting the blood of Jesus. When we are completely surrendered to God, when we are when we are, like Jesus was, pursuing to become 100% submissive every hour of every day to His work in our lives, to only do what we see the Father does, when we manage to do that, we will live sacrificial lives. We will look in the mirror less. We will be less concerned about our status and our style and who our friends are and who our friends are not. We will be more concerned about the poor and the needy and those who do not know the Lord and the hungry and the cold and the orphans and the widows and those who need help. And we will live sacrificial lives. If you live a sacrificial life, God can relate to you. <laughs> God can understand you. He says, obey my commandments. Then I will know that you love me. I have a very good friend, one of my best friends in Stellenbosch. She suffers from cerebral palsy. She's very disabled. She can walk, but she walks. You always think that she's going to fall, but you will be amazed at how fast she can walk with her disabled body. And when she speaks, most people cannot understand her unless they know her. And if you know her well, you can understand her almost always. But sometimes, actually quite often, she has to repeat what she says. And we became very good friends. I see her almost on a weekly basis. And once every three months, she has to go to a neurologist. And he injects her face and her tongue and her hand with Botox. Anybody else here who does Botox? <laughs> you don't have to put up your hand. <laughs> it's okay, and you may if you want to. I know in the Bible that I read that Botox is a sin. I personally don't think it's so great, but it's up to you. But she has to get this Botox because somehow it relaxes the muscles in her very uh, strained and disabled face. And she decided to pick me as her, the person to take her to this Botox. And I cannot tell you how much she challenges me because I'm not, the, I'm not the medical kind of person at all. Once my husband fell on his face, he fainted in a parking lot. And on the gravel, he fell on the gravel with his face. And he had like, um, what is it, rover? Scabs, yeah all over his face, and the one scab was there, so his eye looked like this, because the scab, I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I couldn't look at him, <laughs> so when he spoke to me, I said, I'm just going to, if you don't mind, I'm just going to like hold my hand, just there where you one eye, <laughs> 
And at night I said, oh, you know, I love you very much. I'm just going to turn my back and, you know, not because I, I, I'm, I feel a bit like, you know, my stomach is turning a bit. And I hope you will heal soon. And please don't ask me to nurse this. Please, I don't care who you ask. Just don't, please, I'm not going to touch that wound. Now, my friend asked me whether I will take her to this. And then I have to hold her face while they inject all these, these injections, and especially in her tongue. And uh, we did this now on Thursday, actually, again. And, um, you know, whenever I have to do that, I wake up in the morning and I go, God, why me? <laughs> I will do anything for her, but this is really challenging me because I hold her face like this. And the neurologist feels very sorry for me. I can see it in his eyes. Um, but anyway, and whenever I say that, God says to me, you are investing your time well. This is a, this is a fantastic investment. It will come with great interest one day in eternity. This is how I want you to invest your time. I've picked you because you, you told me that you want to find your set of good works. You asked me for this. <laughs> but even as you are doing it, you must know that you are investing. And I want to say when we invest in the lives of others and God will tell us when and where and how, then we are, we are spending our time wisely. Okay, almost finished, I promise you. I want to read from Matthew 25, verse 26. This is the parable of the talents. And um, this one man, uh, only the master only gave him one talent. I know some of you feel like that. I always felt like I was the one talented person. <laughs> I almost failed matric. And I thought I'm really the one, ta I'm really the one talented person, but... That's okay. I, it's fine. It's, uh, I am as happy as those with the many talents. And um, God knows best. But then this, this, one, this man who received the one talent that his master gave him, you might know the parable. You can go and read it. He, he buried it in the ground. He did nothing with it. Listen to what the master said to him. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. You know, this is something of the heart of God, and we must make no mistake. God is extremely loving and extremely kind and very, very compassionate and slow to anger. But this is how God feels about a waste of time. This is the truth. You wicked and slothful servant. If there is one thing I believe, there are many things that God really desires from us. And it doesn't change His love for us. I love my children whether they are good or bad. And they are born in sin, I promise you. <laughs> some people think for some other reason because I preach my children are extremely well behaved. That's wonderful that they think that. We are working on it. It doesn't change our love for them. It doesn't change God's love for us. But he says, if you waste the precious time that I give to you, you are wicked and slothful. Because I have a set of good works for you. And it's not as if God really needs us. If you don't do it, somebody else will do it. Reinhard Bonke says he was God's third choice. 
I want to read a last scripture. I want to speak about, oh, can I speak about one quick thing before I read that last scripture? I'm so sorry. I want to speak about procrastination. Oh, procrastination. <laughs> Did you see that thing that says, procrastinators, let's all unite tomorrow. <laughs> it's like that thing that says, introverts, let's all gather individually in our own homes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we can laugh a lot about procrastination. It's like somebody says, it's not that I procrastinate, it's just that I love doing everything in a deadly induced panic. Deadly induced, whatever, deadline, panic. <laughs> procrastination will steal from us our destinies. There are things that we can do in our 20s that is hard to do in our 30s. There are things that we can do in our cities that is hard to do in our forties. And so it goes on. It is hard when you are in your sixties and you did not save anything to work out your life if you have you have no income anymore when you are sixty or seventy. But that's just a minor. There are so many things that we cannot do. I mean, I'm 41 now, and I promise you, <laughs> it's not the same than when I was 21. I can feel that when I'm still young, but my body is not 21 anymore. I used to be able to easily bend underneath the beds and just find whatever the kids left there. And now I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> my lower back, my lower back. Because there are things that you can do when you are younger that you cannot do when you are older. And procrastination will steal your destiny from you. And some people procrastinate because of fear. I think the, I think the greatest cause of procrastination is actually fear, fear of failure, fear of I don't know what. It is double-mindedness. It is laziness. I'm going to pray for us this morning who battle with procrastination. I want to read a last scripture to you. Are you happy? I think I preached very long, did I? I'm sorry. It's because there are no time cards. <laughs> Joel 2 verse 25. I will restore, says God, to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. Who of you saw that movie, Ants? Do you know Hopper and Cutter? You remember them? <laughs> they were like the baddies. <laughs> I always see Hopper and Cutter when I read the scripture and they come and they eat, they eat, they eat, they eat. They destroy, they destroy, they destroy. And God says, God can do what no man can do. God can do what no man can do. God says, I will restore unto you the years that the locusts has eaten. God is not in time. We are bound to time. God is not really in time. And God, you know, I, I heard an amazing quote the other day. It says, it, it might be too late to start well, but for nobody that is sitting here, it is too late to end well. For none of us here, it is too late to end well. And some of us have wasted ourselves because of circumstances, because we didn't know better. God has compassion on that. Perhaps something happened to you and it threw you off course. This morning God says, come back. I am not angry at you. Come back. I am not angry at you.